Thanks, Brian. Hey, guys. It's good to be back. I need a pulpit. So uh, don't mind me. I'll just show off my muscles here. This is really heavy, just FYI. I know I made it look light, but that was, you know. Oh, well, guys, I've been gone for a couple of weeks. I missed y'all. It's good to be back. It's good to be worshiping with you here today on this Memorial Day weekend. I'm really excited that we have church. You know, there's been times in the past, especially when we were starting off as this church family at Vespers, where we'd hit Memorial Day weekend or Labor Day weekend, and it would just be me and Brian. And uh, I mean, it was a blast, but (laughs) it was kind of light. Um, But I think what I want to do before um, I embarrass myself with any more just freewheeling up here, I'm going to invite Brent and Melissa Tanner up for the reading of the scripture today. We're looking at Romans 15. If you start turning in your Bibles, it's verse 22 through 33. And I'll pass it off now to the Tanners to read our text for us. If you would stand for the reading of the word. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints, for Macedonia and Akeda, I have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. For they are pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought to also be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessings of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you and with you all. Amen. Amen. This is the word of God. Thanks be to him. Thank you, Brent and Melissa. If you would, remain standing as I pray for us. Lord, we ask and pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts in here as we consider your word would be pleasing in your sight. We ask it and pray it in the name of Jesus and in his name alone. Amen. Amen. Thanks for standing. Go ahead and be seated. And, um, and actually, Pastor Brian might have said this already. I might have missed it. But if you're new or newish here, I uh, just want to let you know there's a QR code right at the sort of the first little panel of the bulletin that takes you to the welcome card that we have. We've made a digital welcome card so we can't lose the physical ones, which used to happen all the time. They'd slip through the cracks or didn't get passed on. So that's a way for you through that QR code just to let us know you were here introduce yourself and give us a chance to introduce ourselves, maybe even get together for a coffee if you'd like to. Um, Also too, especially for moms and dads, I want you to know that we have two sort of privacy cry rooms. This one, um, not so private, the windows look right through, but that one sort of has the, what do you call it? A one-way mirror, a two-way mirror, one-way? Yeah, the one-way mirror. 
and uh, there's some privacy in there. And then also, just so you know, all the kids' care and classrooms are right across the courtyard. That's where all the classrooms are for the kids that were dismissed a little bit ago. Just wanted you guys to know that. Um, Okay, so I think I'm ready to jump into our text for today. It's hard to believe, but this is going to be the last... The last little bit of text before we get to the final chapter of the book of Romans. Can you believe that? The final chapter. It's been a long time. I I can't remember if I told you this a few weeks ago before I left town for a little while. But I was at this pastor's breakfast and they asked what we had been preaching through at church. And I said, Romans. They're like, oh, cool. How long have you been doing that? And I'm like, two and a half years. (laughs) And they were like, what? I was like, I know, I know. I'm surprised I haven't been fired yet. So, but you guys have been patient with me. We've been walking through step by step. We are almost at the end. And the cool thing about the end of these sort of, we call them epistles in the scriptures, is we're, we're reminded when we get to the end of the book. It's at the beginning and the end. We're reminded that what we're looking at when we read a book like the book of Romans is a letter, a personal letter. We said that at the start of our study of Romans, and we said it a few times kind of as we've gone through it. But it's easy to forget because you get so, uh, like, in the weeds, in a good way, good weeds, but, like, the theological weeds, you know, talking about these intense issues. I think of Romans 5 when we talked about the first Adam and the last Adam and what that meant for for Jesus being sort of the, the head of the church And you get so into the nitty-gritty of that theology, you can forget that it's a letter that Paul is writing to dear brothers and sisters in Christ in the same way that we write maybe, uh, I don't know, to our parents, to our siblings, to our children. Have you ever, have you ever, like when's the last time, I guess, don't answer all at once, but just think to yourself, when's the last time you received a handwritten personal letter. Like, I don't think I've received one in quite a while. You know, little notes and things like that, which are awesome, but like a multi-page letter written. I usually save those when I get them. I hope you do too, because there's something special and personal about that. Now, why am I going on and on about this being a letter? I think it's important for us to remember as we read a book like this, what we're dealing with. But it's also uh, something that the text that we read today is going to let us sort of elaborate a little bit fuller on what kind of letter this is, which is going to help us interpret it even more. Because this isn't just a generic personal letter. There's, there, there's a, a purpose to it that I think you are familiar with, either because you've received a letter like this before or perhaps you've written a letter like this. The book of Romans is a support letter. Paul is writing to stir up support for future missions activities. And the support letter, if you've never received one, let me tell you a little bit about what it's like. It's like the Driscoll family that we prayed for a moment ago. It's in Indonesia flying to these remote islands to give Bibles and to share the gospel. Before they left, they sent out a support letter to friends and churches saying, here's what the Lord is calling us to do. Here is the open opportunity he's given us. Would you partner with us to make it happen, to pray for us and with us, and also to financially support us to allow us to go and do that job? That's the support letter. 
And like I said, some of you guys are like, of course, Josh, I've written like five support letters. Uh, I, I get that. I've had to write support letters in my time too. But the point that I'm trying to sort of bring us to see here is that Paul, what he reveals in these last few verses that we read today is that this letter he writes to the Romans is that same kind of support. It's a support letter asking them to help him get to Spain. Look at verse 24 in your text, in your Bible, or it's in your bulletin, or up here on the screen. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. That's kind of cool. It's going to just enjoy being with them for a bit, and then move on to Spain. And then verse 28, a little bit further down. When therefore I have completed this, and have delivered to them what has been collected, more on that later, I will leave for Spain by way of you. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter so that these people can help get him to Spain, to share the gospel there, to plant churches there. It might be worth remembering if this sounds kind of random to you, um, like why Spain? Well, the reason why is because at this moment in time, Spain was the edge of the world. That people lived there, it was inhabited, it was part of the Roman Empire, so it wasn't like there was uncharted territory. But beyond that, nobody knew what was next. It was just open ocean. So for somebody like the Apostle Paul, who was well aware that God had been in making a promise from the Old Testament now into the New, that his word, his promise would go to the ends of the earth, Spain was the ends of the earth. And Paul was passionate to see this gospel go to the ends of the earth. And so Spain was the place he had to be. Now you're starting to see why the sermon title today is Adios. Hey, hey, by the way, I should have said this before I started. Up in paradise this morning, I preached this. And as I was leaving, one of the couples up there were like, when you put that slide up there that said Adios, I thought that was like your resignation letter. And you're about to tell us that you're... I was like, no, that would be the worst way in the world. Adios. No, that's not what that means. This has to do with Paul going to Spain or wanting to go to Spain. And remember, he's asking the Roman church to help him get there. So as we've read through this book, we've seen so much beautiful doctrine, incredible descriptions of the gospel, incredible ways in which that transforms the life of the church to live together in peace and harmony and humility. But Paul's hope is that all of that would be done so that the church in Rome would be healthy enough to then send him on a new missionary endeavor and propel him to share the gospel at the ends of the earth. This really is kind of the main point for what I want to share with you today. That when we read the book of Romans, we're reading a support letter. And all that we've read in it is meant to propel us into mission. Maybe it's done that for you already. As you've seen in Romans the depth of the gospel. As you've seen in Romans the beauty of God's grace. As you've seen it transforming you with the way that it talks about your reconciliation with God the Father. My hope is that it's been stirring those things up in you so that you are more focused on seeing people come to know Jesus that don't know him yet. And say, this isn't just for me. It's for the world. 
This is a support letter meant to propel us into mission. Now, my grand plan for the sermon was to start with that sort of big umbrella point about the support letter. And then I was going to have three small, teeny, tiny reflections that would come out of that. And I started writing this week. And as I was taking notes, like I wrote everything down for the first small reflection. And I realized that if I did all three, this sermon was going to be like four hours long. So, you're welcome. I'm only going to do one small little reflection. That means that next week there's going to be an adios part two. And maybe the week after that an adios part three. It's going to be awesome. It's like I really don't want to get through Romans, guys. I'm just like, <laughs> the last chapter is going to take us another year. No, but seriously, I, it, this always happens when I go on vacation. Like I get this, this my, my instincts as a pastor get way off where I'll tackle this text and be like, I'm going to talk about this and this and this and this, and it will all fit inside of 30 minutes. No, it's not. So we're going to have to split it up a little bit in these next few weeks. But the first sort of small observation, the one that I'm going to do today, uh, has to do with what we read at the, the very end of this text, which was, if you remember, it was a request for prayer. So, so Paul, this is in verse 30, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers. That is to wrestle. Wrestle on my behalf in your prayers and ask the Lord that one, I might be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. Two, that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. And three, that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Those are the things that Paul asked the Romans to pray for him or with him. Now some of these are a little bit contingent on what he talked about earlier in his travel itinerary. We said already that Paul's goal is he's going to come to Rome, he's going to stay with them a little while and sort of create a home base there by which he's going to be launched to the ends of the earth to, to minister and plant churches and share the gospel in Spain. So the beginning of our text, he, he makes that known. But then in the middle of the text, I don't know if you recall, this is around verse 25, he says that he needs to make a little detour before he goes to Rome. Verse 25 says, at present, however, I am going to Jerusalem to bring aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. And then down in verse 28, it says, when therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. So what's going on here is Paul has actually been taking up these monetary offerings that churches all around the Mediterranean have been giving for the sake of helping brothers and sisters in Christ who live in Jerusalem. We're told in the book of Acts that there was this huge famine that struck pretty much all of the Mediterranean in these early days of the church. And it, and it hit everybody hard, but it really, really crippled the region of Judea where Jerusalem is. And so brothers and sisters in Christ that were in churches around the Mediterranean were hearing about the struggle in Jerusalem and partly from the prompting of the missionaries that would come through and partly just because they had a desire to care for the people that they loved, they took up this offering to send to Jerusalem to help them out. 
And Paul and other ministers like him would collect it in person. And then once it was all collected, it was time to take it in person to be delivered to Jerusalem. So he's telling the Romans, he's like, hey, I'm on my way. I'm going to be there soon, just a few weeks. But first I got to make this slight detour, go to Jerusalem, drop off this offering, and then I'm on my way to you guys, then I'm on my way to Spain. That's what he's hoping. And so he prays here. He says, one, when I get to Jerusalem, protect me from the unbelievers there that don't like me. They think I'm being blasphemous. Two, uh, allow the church there to receive with open arms the offering that's been collected. I want them to not be wary of that or suspicious of that. I want them to embrace it. And three, let that all be done so that I can arrive to you in a timely fashion and be refreshed and joyfully accepted in your company. So let's assume that the Romans prayed with him for those things. Let's assume that Paul himself wrestled with the Lord in prayer over those matters. And now we get to face the question, did God answer his prayers? Do you know? You actually can know. That's the beautiful thing about the Bible is we don't have these books in isolation, uh, you know, kind of separated from each other. They are all intertwined. And so as we're reading about Paul's future visit to Jerusalem here in this letter, we can actually turn to the book of Acts and read ourselves for what actually happened in Jerusalem. We can read about that slight detour that Paul took. And we can actually figure out if God answered his prayers. And the short answer to it is yes, God did do the things that Paul requested. But God did them in a way that was wildly different than probably what he would have imagined. And God did them in a way that involved a lot of pain and tribulation and waiting. So Acts 21 is where the story picks up. And it's actually the, all, 21 through the end of Acts is all about Paul's basically slight detour. And so I'm not going to read all of it to you, nor do I have it up on the text. I'm just going to kind of try to paraphrase. You can look at it on your own. That would be awesome if you go home tonight and did that. But in Acts 21, we're told that Paul arrives in Jerusalem with the gift to drop it off. And God answers that first prayer request, that the, the believers there would embrace him, accept him. They would receive the gift. Apparently, they are so excited to see him. They, they love him. They're, they're astonished at the gift that he's brought with them. So, all right, God answered that prayer. But then remember, he also prayed that the Lord would protect him from the unbelievers in Judea that were out to get him. And so when Paul first sort of makes his, his public appearance, he shows up at the temple courts. There is a mob that's incited that is ready to kill him. In fact, it's such an uproar that the people around call it a riot. And this mob was so bloodthirsty, they are ready to tear Paul from limb, limb from limb. He's a goner if something or someone doesn't intervene. Well, guess what? God intervenes. He delivers Paul. He's protected, just like the prayer. Protect me from the unbelievers in Judea. But here's how God protected him. Are you ready for this? He protected him by getting him arrested. 
A Roman centurion sees the riot, sees the crowd, says, what in the world is going on? He runs out there, he grabs Paul, thinking Paul is like the rabble rouser, getting all this, you know, commotion started, and he chains him up. He puts him into custody. He arrests him. But ironically, that arrest is what saves Paul's life. He was delivered, just as he prayed for but it complicates things though, right? Because he was just supposed to be in Jerusalem for a couple of weeks and then he's on his way to Rome. Now he's arrested and yes, that saved his life, but he's a political prisoner in Judea and he ends up staying there a lot longer than he anticipated. Two years he would plead his case in front of every authority you could imagine. Two years he would stay arrested as this prisoner for something that Romans probably didn't even understand. But as many of you probably know, that's not the end of his story. After two years, Paul finally gets the chance to appeal his case to Caesar himself. Remember, Paul was a Roman citizen. So he had the right to say, I want Caesar to stand trial over me, which meant that he would be set on a ship and sent to where? Rome, the place that he asked, Lord, please get me to Rome so I can enjoy the company of the believers there and get ready to head off to Spain. God answers that prayer, but not after a quick two-week detour, not after Paul arriving on his own independence there to enjoy some R&R before he sets off for Spain. He arrives there as a prisoner. He arrives there in the custody of the Roman Empire. Every one of these prayers that were listed at the end of our text were answered. But they were all answered in a way far different than I imagine Paul would have expected or even the believers in Rome would have hoped for. What are we meant to take away from that? What do you think? I, I joked with the folks up in paradise today. I was like, maybe the takeaway is be careful what you wish for. Be careful what you pray for. You know, and we chuckled about that, but I think that probably would be the takeaway of a lot of folks that, that maybe look at the Bible as just sort of this collection of myths and legends in the same way like Greek mythology is. And they'd be like, oh, look at that. It's just telling you that th their God is just some capricious genie that like, oh yeah, he grants you your prayer request, but it ends up ruining your life. That's not what we're meant to take away from this. I'm confident that what the Bible is pushing us to see here, and I think the Apostle Paul would want us to see as well, is that God is always at work. Always. Especially when the way things are unfolding look nothing like we thought they would. Especially when the dreams or the hopes or the vision for the future that we had or the idea for fruitful ministry and the gospel that we had. And we had it all mapped out and laid out and yet it is just gone kaput. God is still at work. And he's actually working in ways way better and way more lasting than the vision that we had in our mind about what it should be. I would imagine there are many of you guys uh, in our church, whether it's the, the congregation in Paradise or the congregation here in Chico, there are many of you who 
have had dead ends or roadblocks or U-turns in your life and you have convinced yourself that it meant that God rejected you. God ignored your plea. God turned a deaf ear to what you desired. And, and listen, I am not talking about foolish materialistic desires like, oh, I want to win the lottery or get a Lamborghini or something. No, I'm talking about God-centered, gospel-driven desires. I'm talking about like my, my friend, a good friend from seminary that left a lot behind and stepped out in faith to be a campus minister in a very unreached place and the doors just got shut in her face over and over and over again until it was obvious that that was not the place she was going to end up. And I remember a conversation with her and it was that exact thing of like, what in the world? I was desperate for the Lord to use me in this way and it's almost like he's laughing in my face. Things are the opposite of what I hoped for. And in those moments, it feels like the only reasonable conclusion is to say, God must have denied this desire that I had. He must have rejected it or must have not heard it. But that is not the right way to think about it. The right way to think about it is even in the midst of those frustrating and trying times where it feels like everything just blows up to say, you know what? God is still at work here. I can trust him. And maybe, maybe this is a reminder that I am not God. My ways are not his ways. And my vision for what the future should be, <laughs> I have to trust that God knows better. You know, to use kind of the metaphor of Paul to put ourselves in his shoes. It's like a lot of us thought we were going to be in Rome in two weeks. And we got to Rome eventually, or we will get to Rome eventually. But it might look a lot different than what we thought. And far from that being something that should embitter us or anger us, that's actually something that we can celebrate and rejoice that God is working in ways that we can't even imagine. Now listen, Paul, when we read about him in Acts, when he finally shows up in Rome, he is not this embittered shell of a man. You get the sense that he's a guy that's like, yo, I didn't think it would take me this long to get here, but look how God brought me here. Isn't this kind of cool? I got shipwrecked, I got bit by a snake, I was two years in prison, and now I'm in house arrest, and I have the freedom to welcome people coming and going to hear the gospel as I please. In fact, that's the end of the book of Acts, that Paul is welcoming people into his home, and the gospel is going forth unhindered, is the word. He wasn't an embittered man. He's a man that's saying, yes, it looked way different than what I thought it would. But God answered our prayer. And he brought me here in ways that I couldn't imagine, but I'm thankful that he did it this way. Even when Paul was arrested in Jerusalem, even after the tribune had put him in chains, you know, he got to share the gospel with everybody, kings and queens and governors and authorities. I think he's a guy that's just marveling and being like, yeah, it wasn't the two-week detour I thought it would be, but 
man, it was pretty rad. (laughs) I guess I'm saying all this to beg you, to beg you as my brothers and sisters in Christ, and maybe to beg myself, don't lose heart. Don't. God is always at work. You can trust him. And here's the important thing. You can trust him more than you can trust your own plans. That is the small reflection. And like I told you, I got two more of them. But they have to be uh, for next week. Adios, part two. We're going to talk about that offering that he took up for Jerusalem. There's, there's some cool things that we need to chew on about that. That might speak to us and and our heart posture when we give tithes and offerings. But like I said, that's for next week. Let me end with this, okay? All this talk about, uh, you know, God's ways are not our ways, that yes, Paul got to Rome eventually, but it was different than he thought. It, it still leaves me asking the question, what about Spain? Right? Maybe you're thinking that. Oh, Josh, that's good and all. He got to Rome eventually, but wasn't the whole point to go to Spain? Did he ever get there? We don't know. We actually don't know. Some people are convinced that he did. Other people are equally convinced that he didn't. I think the most honest answer is just to say, we're not totally sure. But that ambiguity actually might be a good place for us to sort of put into practice what we just learned about this trusting God and trusting that he's always at work. So pretend with me for a second. Let's do a little hypothetical to end this. So Paul wants to go to Spain. The reason why is because he has a passion to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth. And he thinks that the way, the way the gospel goes to the ends of the earth requires him to in person go plant churches in Spain. To go share the gospel there. So in keeping with that plan, he writes this support letter, the book of Romans to encourage the church in Rome, to to see them mature in faith so that they're ready to send him off in Spain. That's the purpose of the letter. But we know that right after he sent it, things went off the rails a little bit. And his quick detour in Jerusalem turned into a very long detour. And when he does finally end up in Rome, he winds up there as a prisoner. And he might very well never have made it to Spain. However, what remained behind? even though Paul never got there himself. The letter, the support letter, the thing that was written for the purpose of getting him to Spain. This wasn't the end in itself. It was just a means of getting him to Spain. But here this letter remains, and it's copied thousands and thousands of times. And it finds its ways into the hands and into the language of people from Germany and India and, yes, even Spain. I mean, those countries weren't called that then. You get what I'm saying. The letter is translated so many times that hundreds of years later, it's picked up by a young man by the name of Augustine and read Romans chapter 10, and it turned his life on its head. It continues to be copied and translated. It finds its ways into the hands of a German monk named Martin Luther who reading about the gospel of grace in the book of Romans lights the world on fire. It's continued to be copied and translated and disseminated so that in this crazy 
May 28th, 2023, in Chico, California, a group of people gather on Memorial Day weekend to read it. The support letter. It's almost as if God said, Paul, I am going to honor your desire to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth, but boy, I'm going to do it in a way, a different way than you think. A way different way than you think. It's not going to be me sending you to Spain. It's going to be me using your support letter to travel all over the world, even to parts of the world you don't even know exist, so that the gospel goes to the ends of the earth. And so I ask you this, could it be that your plan and vision for what you, your calling, what God wants you to do, you are preparing for that. You are, you are operating in a way to get ready to do that thing. But what if your preparation is the very thing God wants you to do? Just like Paul, the support letter was meant just to get him to Spain. It was just the means to the end. But God says, no, the means is what I want you to do. What could it be in your life that the means, just the thing that you do to get to the important destination, could that be the thing that God would use most in your life and use to bear the most fruit? It's kind of a trippy thought, and I'm not even sure if I explained it well, but it's something to chew on and to ask, Lord, are you really at work where the things that I think are of no consequence and don't really matter could be the main thing? I'm going to leave it there for now. And like I said, adios part two next week. Let's pray. Lord, help us to see clearly in your word the way that you answer prayer, the way that you are always faithful to answer the prayers of your people. And yet how you do it in your wisdom and your power and your goodness. And that we can trust that. Lord, I, I'm tired of playing God. I'm tired of dictating to you what my future should look like. I'm tired of telling you the best way for things to be done. Who am I? Who are we? God, forgive us of our pride and our arrogance. Let us be people that say, wow. Look at how God was working even when it was different than how I thought it should go. It's in the name of Jesus that we ask this. Build that trust, Lord. Amen.